That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Woo, here we are, Jake. Uh, let's wake up, podcast listeners. We're going to do another episode here of Same Old Song. This is for the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost, our 54th episode, Lucky 54. And we're going to be talking about Isaiah. We're going to be talking about Thessalonians, 2nd Thessalonians, and Luke uh, 21. But before that, Jake, you're looking good. You're feeling good because you are blessed <laughs> of the Lord due to a clean diet, uh, clean living, and uh, a lot of um, quesadillas. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. I had a delicious quesadilla today for lunch. Um, and uh, the weather is amazing. So um, <laughs> it actually dropped 40 degrees here in New York City over the last night. But uh, don't worry, nothing's wrong. So um, <laughs> That's how it's supposed to be. We uh, It was 29 degrees in Waco, Texas this morning on this first day of November. And uh, shout out to the Texas front, Clergy Conference. <laughs> cold so. front moving in. Uh, let's do the five-day forecast, shall we, Jake? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so anyway, well, welcome, everybody. And uh, we are here, and we're wrapping up, actually. Uh, we're coming quickly to the end of the liturgical year. And so um, a lot of the readings after All Saints as we move towards um, Christ the King and Advent uh, revolve around... Um, uh, eschatological themes, and uh, <laughs> not to be confused with scatological themes. And yeah, Jake, uh, there's a there's a signal. We have to pause here for a moment. We have to save our listeners from any mistakes in the pulpit. So, just for those of you that don't know, eschatology is the study of end times, last mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Scatology refers to <laughs> things that have to do with poo. So, for example, <laughs> I'll use in a sentence: Mozart was a great admirer of scatological humor. That not only demonstrates what the meaning of the word is, it's actually 100% true that uh, if you if you know anything about Mozart, he's genius, but kind of a filthy sense of humor. So, uh, yeah, if you're going to talk about eschatology and use the word eschatological, 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 just be sure that you put that little E at the beginning. Never has the vowel E been so important. Mm. Now, uh, you know, it's important when we come to kind of these these sort of writings, esca- uh, writings with um, eschatological themes around it, that um, really to remember so often, especially in American uh, kind of um, fearful eschatology, um, where, you know, it's all about the locusts and Russians and, and uh, the, you know, <laughs> the current state of Israel and all of that and the United States' role in that and Nicholas Carpathia. Um, it really... Um, wait, t- wait, 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 wait. It's, it's not about that? No, 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 no. But uh, it's okay. Um, uh, but what? But what? 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 
often happens is that there's like a negative picture uh, painted. And, you know, when we live in a closed system, and of course, if we're in control of it, it is uh, very negative. But when you begin to like take a look at the Bible and begin to look at the these these readings as an overall, there's a positive picture. And uh, what this the point was is that in your current space, uh, God is delivering something hopeful to you. And uh, this is the point, and this is what we see in Isaiah chapter 65. That's right. So it begins with these famous lines, I will create a new heaven, new heavens and a new earth. Um, and uh, I'm about to create Jerusalem as a joy. Uh, that's the sound of Jacob's fountain soda, the ice, which he's enjoying. Uh, mm. Just I want you all to know, uh, Jake has a bit of a soda problem. So say your prayers that they don't raise the taxes on soda in New York. So the, uh, the yeah, the, the, the city of Jerusalem exists and yet God is saying, I'm going to make a new Jerusalem and uh, says that there's going to be all these wonderful things about it. And a lot of people get, as Jake said, you know, they get very literal about this. Like there has to be a rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple until Jesus, you know, that has to happen before Jesus can return. And what's interesting about this passage in Isaiah 65 is that the New Testament itself points us to a direction of not a physical Jerusalem, a rebuilt temple and all that sort of stuff, uh, but Jesus Christ as being the, the kind of in himself being the new temple and the and a representation of the heavenly city and all these sorts of things. So uh, we'll see the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples about the temple and um, its destruction. And yeah, and and Jesus never says, yeah, and once they tear it down, we're going to rebuild it better than ever. That's just not what he says. says, And a bunch of Texas cowboys are going to raise a red heifer. So... um, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, um, easy, easy. I know, I know. We've now lost 70% of our listeners. First, when you... (laughs) You know, said things about eschatology. Then when I made that Mozart joke, we lost five percent. And then now that you made fun of Texas for the second time, Aaron, Aaron, we're not getting, we're not, we're not losing listeners. We're just getting stronger ones. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, oh, but the right. point is, is that one of the things about eschatology, though, and especially this reading from Isaiah, is that he is actually playing off themes that would be very familiar to. Um, to uh, to the readers at that time, although you know everything is devastated and ev- nothing seems right, um, Isaiah, as he paints this picture of the future, it's not so abstract, it's not so foreign that no one could relate to it, and yeah. uh, and you see though it's a hopeful future. You know the idea that the, the old person who does not live out a lifetime, for one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. The point is, is that like we are moving to something that is truly, truly wonderful and glorious. And um, and this is what God has promised, you know, a place of peace and a place that is, um, well, truly, truly wonderful, truly, truly normal. Yeah. And, you know, this this passage names a lot of the things that human beings, namely people in your congregations, dear listeners, uh, suffer from and deal with. Uh you know, bearing children for calamity in verse 23. Many, many mm-hmm. people in your mm-hmm. congregations have borne children, and it's been a struggle from day one, uh, whether the child is three years old or now 43 years old. Uh, and the um, uh, the idea of somebody kind of taking what's rightfully yours, that feeling of being stolen from, you know, references verse 22, that someone builds, but another inhabits. So you've built something, but someone comes along and claims it as their own. And um, 
All the suffering that's named in this passage is something that everybody in those pews deals with. And so God's promise here of what the next life and the next world looks like is is different. It is not so hard. It's not so full of pain. It's a place of beauty and rest and things working out and peace and no longer the ways we sort of tear each other apart. So this is a pointing towards um, something we all want. And this is putting language around what will ultimately be fulfilled in the in the new Israel, the new covenant, the church, and although we're kind of not quite there. But that's where this is going, and I think if you want to preach on this passage, it's about it's about the reality of pain that we have, God seeing it, God wanting to restore all things, and not he's not going to restore it necessarily with the physical Jerusalem that comes and everything is great, sort of a heavenly mm. theme park, but it's going to be restored in Jesus Christ um, who fulfills all these promises. And Jesus himself says the law and the prophets are all about me, so Jesus himself tells us that this passage is about him. Um, and if you think about the reconciliation that happens um, outside Jerusalem on Calvary, um, uh, the great reconciliation of all things uh, where sin, death, and the devil are put away together, that's where this really finds its fulfillment and we're living out yeah. in those days. Yeah, it's absolutely right. You know, and, and, and the way to like really kind of get at that and is a really great illustration is you know, even in our common cadence, you know, we talk about we talk about like places and uh, and but really what we're talking about is people and the experience we have with them. You know, when I was a child, I used to love to go to my grandmother's house and it was it was amazing. And um, about five years ago, my grandma died about uh, 12 years ago. And about five years ago, I went and checked out that place again. And it is not the same. You know, there were great memories. But what I was reflecting upon is the relationship that I had with my grandmother and, and that is what made that place special. And this is kind of what we're getting at too. The New Jerusalem is embodied in the person and work of Jesus who in his flesh uh, restores humanity and makes all things new and dwells in our very midst. And uh, right now uh, we can't see it, it's heard, um, but uh, someday we'll see it clearly yep. and we will say hallelujah. Yep, and so now we turn to Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonians uh, Two, or Second Thessalonians, uh, verse chapter three, verse six to thirteen, which is Paul writing about work uh, and to this community of Christians who apparently had some folks, for whatever reason, uh, were not contributing to the life of the community. They weren't living out any sort of vocation. They either because <laughs> there was common property, shared money and resources, or common meals, and so they were sort of mooching off of that. Or there were people who thought that Jesus would return very soon. So quit your job and just, you know, chill out until he mm -hmm. comes back. Uh, and that's once again, that's, that's the effects of having a closed system a closed eschatology. Yeah. A closed eschatology is a scatology and, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, ha wordplay. But anyway, um, the, the, I, you know, if you see that you, we've seen this too with the uh, doomsday prophets in the past, you remember back in like, I want to say 2009, there was a guy who predicted that the end of the world was like ultimately going to happen. And all sorts of folks sold <clears throat> all of their stuff and they weren't doing anything and just kind of, you know, laying around. And Paul is one of the one of the the, the charges here is, is like this idleness is um, a fruit of you think you know what's going on. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to the eschaton, we don't. All we can do is trust in the one who's returning for us and stand firm in that promise. Yeah, and the, there's something here I think very beautiful and powerful about human dignity, uh, you know, working for a 
fair and honest wage and being able to feed oneself. There's sort of God-given purpose. You know, work it, right. work work comes in the Garden of Eden before sin enters the world. It is our na- it's right. our natural state and God-given state to care for the world, to take care of things around us. Now, work gets harder because of sin after the fall, but it mm-hmm. is a good and beautiful thing. So, when pe- And in the age to come, we will work too. Yeah. Like we will have jobs and it will be wonderful and uh, it will be to the glory of God. And, um, but, but right here, you know, the, yeah, there is, there is something, and this is what Paul is articulating here, is really what sanctification looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, this is God working in your life, and it looks awfully ordinary, yep. but it really, in its ordinariness, is really helpful to your neighbor until Jesus returns. Yeah, and there's a, there is um, a lot of movement in the Christian world today and in the secular world to think of work as some sort of uh, personal fulfillment, finding one's bliss, following your passion, uh, work is the path to self um, in, uh, kind of enlightenment and all that sort of stuff, which is not the language that Paul uses here uh, at all. This isn't about yep. you, but this is about something that um, uh, gives glory to God, and you just do your job quietly, do your job well, and, uh, and trust in Him. Uh, there's this... Um, it, quote that's attributed to Martin Luther, which may or may not have been said by him, but he said, essentially, talking about Christian vocation, uh, you don't, you're not a Christian shoemaker or cobbler by putting little silver crosses on the buckles of the shoes. You're a good Christian shoemaker by making the best possible shoes you can. And so, if you're a, a plumber, or if you're a custodian, if you're a teacher, if you are the president of a company, if you're a preacher, if you're a dentist, whatever. And by the way, many of you on All Saints Sunday will sing, I sing a song of the saints of God. It'll name all these different vocations. And that's one of the main points of this. Um, uh, that already passed. I know, that when you're listening. Passed. So think back, think back. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. I'm, I'm conflating all my times here. But anyways, but that's good Christian understanding of vocation is that it's, vocation is not just for the religious people in the world who are who are professional Christians like Jake and me or some of our listeners. Vocation is for everybody, and that's this that idea informs this passage. And I think it can be very healing and helpful and and hopeful for people in your congregation to see their jobs are part of their Christian vocation. It's not like they only serve Jesus when they're at home reading forward in faith, or when they're at home saying their prayers, or when they're at church on Sunday morning. That their whole life is uh, a life of devotion to God, uh, even right. and mostly even in their jobs. Yeah, until Jesus returns. So yeah, you know, you were you, just funny, you were uh, saying, uh, you know, you conflated all of your times right now, and I saw a funny meme, and it said, <clears throat> uh, what do we want? And it said, time travel. <laughs> when do we want it? That's irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, let's let's travel back in time now to Luke 21, when Jesus is having a conversation about the temple. Um, you know, speaking earlier as we were in Isaiah about the New Jerusalem, uh, the center point of Jerusalem is the temple, and so in That's Jesus' right. day, they're looking and at the structure that was built by King Herod the Great, and it was one of the wonders of the ancient world. This huge structure just rising up out of the middle of Jerusalem. It would have been the location where Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac, but didn't. Um, it was traditionally also the location where. Uh, all this stuff happened. It's a big deal. And it's the location of the Holy of Holies and where God dwells and all that sort of stuff. And they're walking by and they're saying, oh, it's so beautiful. And isn't that great? And Jesus says, it's all going to burn. So how do you preach this passage, Jake? 
Yeah, well, this is this is the eschatological of eschatological passages of the day. Um, and, uh, you know, it's actually an interesting point, um, and I've been listening to some folks talk about this, but, uh, you know, the idea that you're, you're like, and dating this actually kind of almost earlier on one level, um, the gospel a little earlier, because they're speaking as if right here, as if the temple, even in reading this, is present, you know, and so um, is really present. And so, but Jesus sees this, all of these people see the center of worship, and Jesus says, all of this stuff is coming down. And this would have been absolutely shocking, and it would have been completely offensive to everybody listening. And so they ask, well, what's going to be the sign that this is all going to take place? Now, a lot of people misinterpret this, and they see this as like one giant kind of um, end time sort of reading. But Jesus speaks about kind of what's immediately going to happen following the destruction of the temple, and then what's going to happen at the end of time. And uh, and it's important to have that properly divided. And so the front part is... Um, is uh, um, the front part. He said, beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. And, uh, you know, and so here is all of the things that's going to happen in the distance. But before you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. The end will not follow immediately. Then he said to him, nations will rise against nations. And we've seen that for the last 2,000 years. Kingdoms against kingdoms. We've seen that taking place. And there will be earthquakes and various places of famines and plagues. There's currently fires going on in California. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from the heavens. I mean, so all of this stuff. And you have to remember that since Jesus' ascension, until he returns, we've been in the last days. As the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 1, in various and many ways, God has spoken to us through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. So the point being is that the last days are not somewhere off when we get the tribulation force and the United States is finally on the scene to save Israel. That's not like what this is about. The last days are what have been going on since Jesus has ascended and taken his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. And then he goes on. So, but before all of this occurs, now we're going to talk about right now, you disciples. This isn't about like, you know, when you were in the ninth grade and you decided to like preach against your teacher when they were teaching evolution. He's speaking of the disciples in this moment. They will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons. Read the book of Acts and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. Read the book of Acts. And this will give you an opportunity to testify. Look at St. Paul before Felix. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you the words of wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict you because ultimately they're going to have to kill you. Yeah. And uh, this is it. Um, and by your endurance, you will gain your souls. And indeed, this is uh, good news for the apostles who are about to find... Uh, experience hardcore persecution in the name of Jesus. And we take heart by their witness. And you want to look back, that's what All Saints is all about. We join our voices with the church. Uh, the church militant joins its voices with the church triumphant as we sing one endless praise of thanksgiving for the salvation that belongs to our God. And yeah. um, everything he has said has come into place and come into fruition. And because of that, we know he'll come back and get us. Yeah. So, uh, Amen. Do, you, do you need so. a break? 
Uh, Maybe. I need some more ice for my soda cup. Clearly. So. <laughs> well, go ahead. While you get that, I'll talk a little bit. So the thing that is... Uh, so I, just, I didn't mean to steal all the thunder. Could you, shake, anyway. could you shake that ice a little bit more? I can't quite hear it. There we go. So the thing about this passage, Jake was alluding to a, a practice that many people do, which they read these words about Jesus, uh, or where Jesus says that you'll be persecuted for your faith, basically. And yeah, people tend to make it about us, about here and about now. So at Target, they say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, and I'm getting persecuted for my faith or something like that. But Jake, very rightly, you put this in its context. These were very specific words for Jesus' disciples about who were about to go through major persecution after his death and resurrection, which is coming very soon after Luke 21, and they were going to be persecuted, they were going to uh, undergo great hardship, and in 70 AD, the temple is going to be destroyed. So Boom. that's what's ha- that's that, uh, about uh, 40 years after Jesus' teaching this message, that's when this is going to take place, and the persecutions will continue, and will kind of go up and down depending on the emperor and his mood for the day, but these this is going to continue to happen. So Jesus is giving a very specific mm. word then, which would have meant a lot also to the early community of Christians who are going to be reading these sayings and then continue to read them as they get compiled in the New Testament. Um, and so uh, that's what this is about. And I think the challenge for us as preachers today, knowing that this is about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and knowing this is about a word to Christians who are living under persecution in the Roman Empire in the first century and beyond, how do we make this relevant for people today? Yeah, well, you hit the point right here where um, it says, teachers, when will this be and when will the signs be? sign that this is about to take place. He said, beware that you're not led astray, for many will come in my name. I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. You know, that's the problem that was going on in Thessalonians with people being idle. You know, it was like, oh, any minute now, so I don't have to do anything. You know, and this is to live in a closed system. And if you're going to preach, this is a great time to teach on eschatology a little bit and and the gospel within it. And, uh, you know, um, when you have a closed eschatology, well, it leads to idleness. It leads to judgment because I'm obviously in and you're out. But when uh, you have an open eschatology, well, then you're not quite sure when Jesus is coming back. Actually, nobody knows the time except for the Father. And so actually in this age, you can do your job, as you said earlier. You can live your life and you can treat people with generosity and witness to them about the good news of the gospel, the God who meets people with their broken children, the God who meets people in their broken jobs, the God who meets them in the brokenness of their life and promises, behold, I make all things new. And so, you know, and that becomes our message, not worried about when some fool somewhere saying Jesus is coming back next week, but rather just living our life in the here and the now, trusting that God is faithful. Yeah, and I think one of the other important things about this passage, too, is how forthright Jesus is about the suffering that his followers are going to endure. Uh, And I think there's so much teaching today. About prosperity and all of that, yeah. Yeah, prosperity and just wants to basically say that suffering is not um, normal for the Christian life or something like that, or create, create this idea that we're supposed to be happy all the time. And I think it's, you know, you see it on social media whenever there's there are inspirational posts uh, or Christian people posting about their lives, they usually show a very uh, kind of um, idealized, romanticized life and it creates this idea 
that we're supposed to live like that, and if we're not, we must be doing something wrong. And Jesus says, no. First, wars and insurrections, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and you know, even within your own family, those are normal things, and they're going to be happening for a long time, even for Christians. Yeah. And his word to us, as you said, Jake, do not be terrified. Um, the, the point is to trust in God, trust in Christ, hold to him. Uh, as Paul says in Thessalonians, like keep holding on to the, to the traditions that we were given, uh, and, uh, yeah. and, and leave the rest up to, up to God. So I think, uh, there's a word here too, I think for people that are suffering in their life. And as I said, we don't want to ma- take this passage, rip it out of context, uh, and yeah. say that this is about somebody being mean to me because I'm a Christian today. But I do think you can say that God here is not, he's not someone that's surprised that suffering is going to take place. He's honest that it will take place. And he does say, in it, I will be with you. Um, uh, and that does, yeah. that that is who God is. He still does that. He still does that today. And so even in the betrayals, reversals, and hardships of life, um, as Angelica Houston's character says to John Wick, you know, life is pain uh, and art is suffering. So there is all that that is true. And so there's a normalizing of that. You don't, people don't need to feel like weirdos because life is so hard. Just listening to um, this incredible new podcast, Dolly Parton's America, where she is talking about um, the sad songs that she always kind of heard growing up and uh and you know that's just kind of a reality of life and so there's something about that uh, i think here that you can talk about and then then apply the balm of the gospel uh and the love that christ has it's also important to the very last line here by your endurance you will gain your soul and um you know a lot of people want to turn this into some sort of kind of semi-pelagian just do it but remember this is being taught in light of the fact that Jesus is going to the cross. He's going to actually endure uh, the sin and the shame of the world for us. And so, you know, um, when we stand, um, we stand only because he stood first. And when we endure, we need to remember it's because he endured the shame of the cross first for us. And so, and, um, and we gain our souls because he's already in his person and work given it to us. And um, that is uh, because he is the temple who was destroyed and uh, then three days later rose glorious from the dead. Right. And if you think about endurance, yeah, that can feel like a a heavy hammer of the law. By your endurance, you'll gain your souls. But if you, again, put it in the context of the narrative, we're about to see Peter and all the disciples desert Jesus and most clearly not show any endurance. They do not stick with him. And yet Jesus welcomes them back and ultimately puts them into ministry. So endurance is not be a perfect Christian forever and you'll get into heaven. That's not what he's saying. Endurance is running and falling, getting up, walking, falling, getting up, stumbling, falling, getting up, walking. Like it's just continue to come back to the Lord. And of course, the Lord continues to draw you back to himself. So um, the the... Jesus knows our frailty and our weakness, and yet he still welcomes us. And so I think the key is to is to make your congregation to know and to feel of the fact that God uh, is for them and will uh, stretch out his arms upon the cross uh, mm. to, to um, reconcile Bring them into us a to him. Embrace. Yep. That's right. So, uh, so that, so, okay, eschatology, end times, uh, Isaiah 65, um, paints this beautiful picture, which we said is realized in Christ. Uh, St. Paul in Thessalonians tells us that as we are um, in, in light of 
Christ's return, it doesn't mean do nothing. It means to just continue doing your vocation in the freedom that we have in Christ, and knowing that by doing so we give glory to God in our good work. And in Luke 21, uh, we are told um, the temple is going to come down, uh, life is going to be hard, but God is with us in everything and will never leave us, and ultimately he is our salvation. Um, so those, that's kind of summing up. Anything else we should add, Jake? Bro, you put the cherry right on top, so uh, I think Any, that's a great place to stop. No I'm good spent. jokes to tell I'm spent. at the beginning. Okay, I'm all right. Spent. Well, I think yeah. I think <laughs> you you kidding. you left it all out on the court there. So good that's job. That's right. Thank you, man. Appreciate okay. it. Good job to you too, man. Wait, you know. Oh, yeah. You're good there's enough. A moment. You're there, smart there's enough. A, there's a and gosh darn it, Jesus loves you. <clears throat> and so, that's right. But, uh, um, <laughs> but not because of any of those things. Um, uh, Anyway, and I hope God, our listeners know know that God loves them too. This ending just died. God bless you, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Should we cut this out? No, let's leave it in. Okay, everybody, yeah. bye. <laughs>